and the Word of God, Pastor Ryan Alcorn, as he brings the Word this morning. Good morning. Fantastic. How are you all this morning? You're well? Fantastic. Well, you guys can take your seats. You can take your seats. Why don't we thank the band one more time? Awesome. So good having Haley and Peter up here with us. Feeling like we're just part of the family. Hey, uh, just so that we can kind of get to know each other um, as quick as we can, just so that you're not like, who is this guy? Uh, my name is Ryan Alcorn. has been that way again since I was born. Um, for most of my life, I've been that way. My dad is actually Pastor Wayne Alcorn, the, uh, my senior pastor, and uh, he wanted to say hi and g'day to everybody out here. He's, um, he's, I think he's slumming it in Hawaii at the moment, you know, just following the call of God. Um, you know, it's tough sometimes. Pray for us. Uh, so he, he, he's, he sent us out here, and uh, it's just been such a phenomenal time. I uh, run the youth ministry uh, at Hope Center, back home in Brisbane, my wife and I, Brioni, oversee all of our sites, and uh, we're pleased to let you guys know that there are phenomenal things happening. Uh, you just uh, were ministered to with, uh, with our band, the Embassy Band, which we've just had the pleasure of uh, releasing some music on iTunes, which is doing really, really well. And so things are going great uh, back home, but it is awesome to be here. And uh, like you heard Sam just say, um, we saw... You know, 20 young people uh, come to youth for the first time. Again, Lai, um, just without telling me um, that he would do this, just in a classroom and started to sing Play School, Hannah Montana. Um, what else do you sing? Blues Clues? Home and Away. Um, you know, I thought like, oh my goodness, they're going to send us home. But, uh, you know, it worked somehow. You know, God uses unusual things. Uh, <laughs> praise Him. So uh, we saw that. And then on Friday night, it was awesome to be with Infusion Youth down here, uh, where we saw, you know, nearly 10 young people give their life to Jesus in an incredible, life-changing way. So uh, that is a little bit about who I am, what we've been up to, but I think it would be awesome if perhaps we turn to the Word and I actually did what I was up here to do. Does that sound good? Fantastic. Well, if you would like to turn with me to Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 21, I'm going to read uh, a little bit of Scripture. Are you ready? Are you ready? Fantastic. Good. For this reason, Paul speaking, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in our prayers. Praise God for pastors that don't stop praying for their people. How many people are proud and happy to be part of a church where Pastor Ben just does not stop giving thanks for you and praying for you? I mean, you are in a church where your, where your senior pastors are praying for you constantly. Oh, the youth leaders, I know that Sam is praying for you guys constantly. It's just, it, there is something to be said about being part of a community where our pastors are giving thanks and praying for us continually. Paul, Pastor Paul, hears about these Ephesians, and he has not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in our prayers. I keep asking that the God of your Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. To set the scene a little bit, we are picking up in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 15. The book of Ephesians is unlike uh, actually a large majority of the letters that Paul would write. Because he's writing to the Ephesian church, not because he's heard that some bad stuff is going down, but he's actually writing because he's just heard that these guys are actually doing pretty well. You know, he's heard that, that the church in Ephesus, which is kind of a, a big, thriving, bustling city, the Word of God has come to them. And now, you know what, they're not doing too bad. In fact, Paul sees that they're actually doing pretty good. So he writes this letter to them just, just because he's heard that they're doing pretty well. And so I love that. I love the book of Ephesians because it means that it, it kind of transcends. It's not just a pointing to kind of a particular thing. There wasn't a cause. It was just because we believe in the same God. And that means when, whenever we open the book of Ephesians, it's because we, we worship the same God. And so everything that he writes to the church in Ephesus kind of echoes through time to us where we are today. And so Desert Life, this morning, I want to teach to you from the fact that we serve the same God. And so this is applying straight to our hearts. Paul, hearing about these group of, of believers that are kind of getting it right, starts to write this letter. And what begins in Ephesians chapter 1 is what kind of amounts to be about a 200-word long sentence. I don't know how you did at English in school, but I can almost guarantee you there would be some red pen on your assignment if you handed in a 200-word sentence. I mean, there's probably about 18 verbs. There's, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff. There's just, there's missing grammar. In, when Paul started to write this, not because he was just bad at Greek, but because, you know, he, I'm sure that he did pretty well. In fact, Paul's a pretty smart guy. But what happens is that Paul hears about this church and, and, and he gets so excited about knowing that they are serving the same God, that he looks at Jesus and he looks back at the Ephesian church who believe in Jesus. And then he looks back at Jesus and then he just gets so excited, he just starts speaking. Have you ever met somebody that's just so excited about something, they just start speaking, you know, and you just can't stop them? You're like, oh, come on. That, <laughs> he's still going. I'm, I'm a little bit of a geek. Um, <laughs> sorry burst anybody's bubble that just thinks, you know, looking at these hips, man, that guy's an athlete. Um, but, but I'm a bit of a geek. Um, in fact, I am, I am crazy for Star Wars. We, in, we got any Star Wars fans in the crowd? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're here. All right. I'm amongst family. Good. I, I, I love Star Wars. Probably too much. But uh, I, I mean, I, I fought hard. My middle name is Luke. I fought hard to get Luke as the first name for one of my children. Didn't really pass. Um, then I tried to go for Parker, for Peter Parker. Didn't get up as well. Um, you know, m my wife wants our children to succeed in life. Um, I just want kind of novelties. Um, but I love, I love Star Wars too much. Just last week, the, the new trailer for the new Star Wars movie came out. My wife called me as that, like, I, like I'm, I'm such a geek, I get notifications on my phone when there's like a new piece of Star Wars information has just kind of come up, just get a bell. So I'm like, I'm halfway through the trailer. I screened three calls from my wife who was out the front, we were staying in a hotel. 
um, she didn't have a key. I screened three calls during this trailer. And then the last one, I just answered. I'm like, hey, baby, uh, I'll give you a call right back. I'm in the middle of something super important. I'll get right back to you, hung up and finished the trailer. I, I'm, in fact, I love Star Wars so much that I just recently, in, the, in getting ready for, um, you know, The Last Jedi, hey, uh, what does that mean? Anyway, so much excitement about it. I booked out two cinema screens just so that me and my friends could go and watch this movie at midnight. Just because, you know, I'm like, yes, let's go do it. And they're like, okay. Um, so I've dragged like two cinemas worth of my friends just so that they can lose sleep as well. Um, but, but last Star Wars that came out, Force Awakens, great movie. Um, it's on Netflix now. Uh, just in case you're like, what was this guy preaching about? You can catch up. It's fantastic. Uh, it's a transcendent story of good versus evil. Um, that'll preach. I might park it. No, I'll keep going. Uh, when I saw the last Star Wars movie, I went again at midnight just because that's the only time that you can see a movie that you're super excited about. But um, my wife wasn't too pleased about that because um, how many parents are in the room? Yeah. Um, I've got, uh, when the first movie came out, my son, my first son, Dallas, was just, um, he was just about four months old. And there's an incredible thing that happens when you're a parent. It changes the whole dynamic of what sleep is. Um, when you're a normal human, there, there's this thing that kind of happens that you get tired and kind of, you know, you get tired, but then you sleep and then you're less tired. And then you, then you get tired and then you sleep and then you get less tired. And that's a fantastic thing for normal human beings. But what happens when you're a parent is you actually just get handed, instead of like the ocean of just ebb and flow of just sleep and, and not sleepy, you get handed a bucket and it's basically that's sleep. And every time that you decide to make a withdrawal or you get just a little bit past tired, you just scoop out a little bit of kind of life and you just splash it out. And then you're set with that much sleep for the rest of your life. You know, it's like you will forever be this tired. There's no coming back from that. So my wife thought that I was an idiot for going and watching this movie. And so I came home at about 2.30 after watching Star Wars. I was kind of sitting up in bed for maybe about an hour later, just kind of running through it, just kind of, you know, making some notes about what I will think about next time I go see it. Um, <laughs> getting on the blogs. But, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, she woke up because I was getting, you know, I was so jittery, so excited about Star Wars that, that she kind of rolled over and she was like, you know, was it any, any good? You know, they, she did not mean that question. She was like, can you go to bed? But she said, you know, was it any good? And that just kind of broke it. And I just started to speak. I was like, oh, Brie, you have no idea. You should have seen it. There were some old characters. There were some new characters. The dynamics between the old and the new. Oh, my goodness. It's tying all the trilogies together. Brie, you should check this thing. And I went for about 10 minutes. I realized that about 10 minutes, that about two minutes in, Brie had fallen asleep. But it was like, but it, it, you, know, you know when we get so excited about something that we're passionate about, someone reminds us of something that we, that we love, we enjoy, and we just start to speak. Paul looks to the Ephesian church, and then he looks to the grace of God, and he recognizes that these people are sharing the same faith. And so Paul just, bang, he triggers, and he just goes. He starts to speak of some of the most profound, some of the most incredible, energetic, lively description that we have in all of Scripture about the goodness and the grace of God. Come on, could we be the kind of people that when we get reminded of Jesus, we just start to speak. We just start to go. Something opens up in our heart that we just get excited about Jesus. 
Come on, if you've never seen this, just ask a teenage girl about Justin Bieber. You will not be able to stop them. Come on, they, they, where, Paul just starts to go, and it culminates in 200 words of just euphoric praise of Jesus that culminates in this prayer that we just read. So what's interesting, we, 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 we see Paul just talking and talking and talking and then coming up for air, and almost he inhales, and then his next breath out is this prayer for the Ephesian church. We actually see this same kind of prayer in Philippians 1, Colossians 1, and again in Ephesians 3. It's kind of the prayer that Paul prays for his friends. This is kind of Paul's friend prayer. This is the one that when he thinks of people that he loves and is thinking of, this is the prayer that comes to mind. We'll read it again. It says that, you know, my prayer is this, that I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul looks at this Ephesian church and he thinks, man, you guys are killing it. You're nailing it. You, you know what? You're doing it so great that it triggers him. He starts to speak. He, then he, he kind of comes up for air and then he says, you know what? You guys are doing so great. I'm just going to ask for one thing. This is the one thing that I keep thinking of, I keep praying for, that constantly comes to mind when I think about you. That, that the one thing that I want for you is this, that you would know God better. What? That's the one thing that you want to pray for? Of all of the things that Paul could be praying for, for this church, the one thing, the one thing that he keeps coming back to is that you would just know him better. That you would know Christ better. Isn't that funny? Because he's writing to a group of people that have got, you know, next to nothing going on for them. Is the moment that they decided to come be- become believers, they were faced with persecution. They were living in a time where because plumbing wasn't right, there was disease running through their town. They were a port city. Rats would be constantly coming in and bringing new and fresh, awesome, awful diseases into town. Paul could have prayed that, you know what, I just pray that you guys wouldn't get hit by the flu season. You know, I just, I, I pray that, you know, you would just, you would just receive strength, that you would receive all manner of kinds of things. Perhaps he could have even prayed for, you know what, I just pray that you get the gift of flight. You know, there was any number of things that Paul could have prayed for these people, but he said he culminates. You know, you could imagine these people listening. They're hearing it, being reminded of the grace of God. It's kind of, it's swelling. It's this crescendo. And then he say, you know what? This is the one thing that I keep on praying for. And they would have just been like sitting with bated breath, waiting to hear, what's the one thing that Pastor Paul wants for us? That you would know him better. I imagine some people in the crowd, like some of us, when we read that, you know, what's the one thing that Paul's praying for, could feel perhaps a little disappointed in that moment. But I think Paul was onto something when he decided to pray that we would receive more of a knowledge of God. I think Paul knew that by praying for a change in conditions, he can create conditional faith. That, that, that by Paul praying for just a change in conditions, it would have set this Ephesian church up to just have a conditional faith. What do I mean by that? I mean, if, if all that Paul was praying for, if all they received was just a change in their circumstance, then all they would need from God is just a constant change in circumstance. What, that, what, what happens is, and I mean, for many of us, I know for me personally, it can be so easy to lose sight of God when everything's going great. 
if all my relationship with God is, is me just getting stuff from God, when I've got everything I need, I don't need God anymore. I think Paul knew that. I think he knew that if all I pray for in this Ephesian church is that they just keep getting the next thing they need, then they'll lose sight of the fact that they need God. I think he also knew that if they didn't get what they were after, then then it would move them to a place of despair because they would feel as though God was not there. So what he does is instead of praying for a con- uh, for a change of conditionals, uh, a change in condition, he prays for an exchange with their Savior. Not a change in circumstance, but an exchange with their Savior. I grew up in a, a in a house of teachers. Do we have any teachers in the building? Fantastic. God bless your children. Uh, I grew up in a house of teachers, and, it, and to be honest, to be honest, to be honest, you're amazing. But it wasn't easy. Uh, my mom is a teacher. Um, my dad is is a preacher. Uh, so that was kind of, you know, mom would handle uh, everything that, you know, was kind of math and, and English and stuff. And dad would just teach me with everything that was, you know, God and life. And then my brother tried to become a teacher. He didn't do too well, so he became a PE teacher. They didn't even let him do too well at that, so they just gave him head of sport and were just like, just just stop. So I was surrounded by teachers growing up. And uh, what was frustrating about um, growing up being surrounded by teachers is that um, homework is a different dynamic when you're in a house of teachers. Normal kids, they just get to do their homework, and it's just like, is it done, is the only question that they get asked. But my mom, she would be sitting there. I could feel her breath on my shoulder the whole, like, hour that I would be working. And, and, and what's frustrating about, and I mean, forgive me, teachers, you're amazing, uh, but, you know, I feel like acknowledging that you have a problem is the first step. <laughs> but, but growing up, homework had a very different dynamic. I would go to my mom, I would say, hey, mom, you know, when I was maybe 15, just early days, mom, how do you spell received? And she would do the most frustrating thing. Bible, in fact, even warns parents, don't, don't frustrate your kids. So, you know, hear me when I'm preaching. It, it, I would say, Mom, how do you spell received? And instead of spelling, she would say, what? Sound it out. That's not a letter. Sound it out. And so I'd be like, R-E-S-E-V-D. Bless you. You know, she would, she would say, like, you know, sound it out. So you'd sound it out. And it's like, I don't know, C-I. And she's like, I before E, except after. And, and you'd be like, oh, okay. So, and she's like, except after C. And you're like, come on, mom. You know, she, she would go through this thing. Hey, mom, this problem on my math, you know, question four. How you, like, can you help me with that? And she's like, what is it? Pythagoras. Oh, awesome. C squared equals A squared plus B squared. That's not the answer, is it, mom? Come on. Help a brother out. Help a son out. But what mum would do, instead of giving me the answer, she would give me the method. She like like and, and I mean I've grown through this and you know I've I got my scars, but you know I'm here, I'm I'm a survivor. But but like all my life growing up, when it came to homework, when it came to challenges, when it came to anything academic, my mum would never give me the answer. She would always give me the method. And I think what Pastor Paul does here, what the Apostle Paul does here, is he gives us like a mom-teacher kind of prayer. He says, you know what, I could, I could for sure pray 
for just the answer to problem B that you're having. I could absolutely, the one prayer that I could have would just be to give you your health. But Paul isn't interested in just giving us an answer. He's interested in giving us the answer to every question and every problem that we could ever face. Paul prays that we would receive not more health, not more gifts, but more of the giver. Paul gives us the method, not just the solution. And I think that that is so incredible. I think that's so symptomatic of our life, our world. We're after the instant fix. But Paul's saying, you know what? Don't just pray prayers that go for the instant fix. Actively seek to see God more. Actively seek the giver, not just the gift. And and, and what's incredible, as we read on, the word that he uses there to, to know is, is actually um, a word that we see a lot in the New Testament where, you know, people came to know God. On Friday night, people came to know God. Knowing God is oftentimes synonymous with coming to know Him in a saving kind of way. But we know that the Ephesian church, the people that he wrote this to, were already believers. So when he says that you would know God, it has to mean something just a little bit different. The word that he uses is not just know like normal but it actually is epinosis, which is a deep knowing. He says, you know what? My one prayer for you is this. Not just that you would get stuff, but that you would have a deep knowing of God. That God would give you a spirit to give, him a, give you a deep, real knowing of Him. That you would see Him clearly. I pray that you would go deeper and deeper in the knowledge of Christ. That you would have a clearer vision of His gracious working in our life. It not, I, I don't pray that you would have a new revelation, a new this, a new that, that you would receive a new grace, but that you would know, that you would know, that you would know in a deep and familiar way that which you already have. That, that, that the God that you serve would be so close, near, and dear to you that you would know God more. My dad is, um, my dad's on Wikipedia, um, and, you know, I don't know who wrote it, I would think it was him, but I don't think he knows computers. Um, so it was probably his PA. He would have dictated it. Um, and so he's on, he's on Wikipedia. And I could get to know my dad by jumping online, searching up Wayne Alcorn and looking up just a few tidbits of information about who he is, what he's done, where he was, when. And that would be great. I could know some facts about my dad. Or I could pick up the phone. I could call him. I could talk with him. I could live life every day in step with him, and we could grow to know each other through relationship. Paul doesn't want us, God doesn't want us to have a Wikipedia relationship with him. It's not about us. When, When Paul says, you know, I pray that you would get to know God, it's not about us just getting some more tidbits of information about him. It's not just us knowing a few more cool verses to quote. It's not just about us having sticky notes around our house. It's not just about us having scriptures on the mirror so that we can know it. It's, it's about us getting to know God Himself, truly real, close, near and dear. It's not just about us knowing some more of the original language. Paul wants us to know God, that we would pick up the phone, as it were, and call, that the highest point of our prayer would not, just to be get, would not just to be getting stuff from God, but to get more of God. That He would be closer to us. And watch what happens when we 
as David says in Psalm 27, when his prayer is that I may gaze on the beauty of the Lord, when that's the highest point of our prayer, watch what happens. Three things occur in our hearts, are enlightened to us as we receive this spirit of wisdom and revelation in, in knowing God better. The first thing that we see that happens in the hearts of believers that receive this is, is this, verse 17, uh, sorry, verse 18. I pray that the hearts, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The first thing that we see when we get a, a true, near, real view of God is we receive a hope. We receive an optimistic expectation in all circumstances that God is holy, which means that God is consistently himself. God never changes, which means if God is consistently himself, God is consistently good. So we have a consistently good expectation of anything that we face. When we, when we get a view of God, when our perspective changes to a perspective of hope, we can face all trials knowing that it is, that, that it is God that has us in, a, in his hand. I love this verse in John 10 where it says, you know what? I have you in my hand and no one and nothing can take you from it. When, when, we can, when we get a view of God, when we get to know God, we see that we have a hope in all circumstance. We have a perspective of hope. Isn't that incredible? We, we get a profound and thorough knowledge of Jesus and His grace. We recognize that in all things, He is sufficient. We recognize that in Him, we can have an expectation of good. Second thing that occurs in our hearts when we get a full view of God is that we see in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Second thing that we see happen in our hearts as we get a full view of God is we see our position as to what it truly is. We get identity. We see that we are his riches. When we read that, you know, we, we can see his riches, oftentimes it, it can make us, you know, think of, you know, that he's got money. And I mean, God does have money, but we, we can very often read that to assume that it's talking about, you know, we can see that he can provide, which is again true, but that's not what it's talking about. It says that we are his riches in his holy people, which means that it's about us, that we are God's inheritance, which means that we are valuable to God. When we have a full view of God, we can see that we are actually precious to him. It places us in a position that recognizes that we have been adopted to be heirs in Christ, that we are his holy people, a royal priesthood, chosen, set apart to do the good works that he set out in front of us to do. When we get a view of God, when the highest purpose of our praise is to see God, we actually see ourselves for who we truly are. Isn't that incredible? Second, uh, and the third thing that we see happen in our hearts is that we receive power. Goes on, glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us, for us who believe. That power is the same as the, uh, is the, same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked in this present age and also in the one to come. We discover when we get a view of God that we have a power inside us which is greater than that which is in the world. When we, when we get a view of God, I, I mean, 
let me, let me just say this. God wants to give us good gifts. Jesus prayed that we would receive uh, our daily bread. All I'm saying today is don't just pray carb-based prayers. Don't just only go after the bread. But I am saying, even when we pursue the giver, we will realize that we have a power inside us that can actually dwarf everything that is seeking to tear us down. When we recognize God for who He is, us who we are in Him, we actually recognize that He is in us to overcome that which is out there. When we get a view of God, it changes the way we walk. We got power inside us. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living within us. When we have a, when we have a view of God, we recognize that His Spirit, which raised Him from the dead, that same power that overcame death, Come on, if you're praying for anything less than death, I mean, we got a pretty good kind of power inside us. If, if, if we can raise the dead, if he can raise himself from the dead, come on, we can pray for some stuff and see it move. When we recognize that God is God, when God is good, he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. When we see God for his glory, his majesty and his holiness, when our aim in our prayer life is to see God's face, we recognize that we got a power in us. Come on, that can overcome all the works of the enemy. They're, they're by the power of the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony, we can put the devil on the run. Come on, we've got a power living in us. What we need to do is to seek God's face. Come on, we don't have to just pray prayers saying, God, I pray that you would give me power. We've got to pray prayers that say, God, I pray that I would see you. And in that, our hearts become aware. In that, our hearts are enlightened to the fact that we've got a power inside us that can put the devil on the run. Can we be a people whose prayer takes us deeper in the rich knowing of Christ? Come on, can we be, can Desert Life, can Hope Center be the kind of place where we are a people who actively seek to see the face of God? Who like David say, you know what, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Which, which says to me that David, a man after God's own heart, his, his highest prayer was to see God. Come on, when we see God, it changes everything. When we have that wisdom and revelation, when, when we become aware of Him and we see Him, it changes everything. Can we be a kind of people who change our prayer life to be after the giver, not just the gift? Come on, I pray today that Jesus will reveal himself in our hearts, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that, that something would occur today, that, that we would again see God in an incredibly new and fresh way. When we, be, when we begin to think big about God's love, when we begin to think big about his love and his justice and his mercy, it actually changes us completely. Can we be people who, who actively seek to see God's face and be blown away by who He is? When we begin to think big, watch what happens in, in, in Ephesus. This city, they've only just kind of begun to follow Jesus. This is a new community of believers. History would show us that these people who Paul didn't pray for a new, didn't pray for a new worship band. He didn't pray for a new evangelist. He didn't pray for new aircon. He didn't pray for new church building. He didn't pray for this, that, the other, for, for, for wealth or, or anything like that. The thing that he prayed for, for these people, was that they would just know God. 
can be very easy to think that that's just for some kumbaya, have it for ourselves kind of Christians. It can be very easy to think that when we just diligently as individuals aim to see God's face, that that's just a personal kind of thing. But watch what happens. History would tell us. Archaeologists have discovered an auditorium that can seat about 23,000 people. The only thing that they can put it down to was that it was designed to house the church that Timothy in Ephesus was running. These people who actively sought to seek the face of God, who, who, who God revealed Himself to, didn't just huddle in together and just hold it on. But it was so contagious because they knew that they had a hope in all things. Because they knew that whatever they were facing, God had it in control. Because they knew who they were. And because they knew that they had a power inside them that was greater than anything that would seek to shut them down or silence them, 23,000 people would gather together to praise His name. Come on, in Desert Life, I know that there are people in this building that have a heart to see Alice Springs radically changed. they got a heart to see the gospel come and the Holy Spirit move amongst its streets, that there would be restoration and revival happening from the heart of our nation. Come on, I know that there are people in here that want to see the gospel change this city. Watch what happens though. Paul begins his prayer for this community by saying, you know what? I'm not praying that the cavalry would come. I'm not praying that anyone else from around the world, I'm not waiting for some. No, he definitely didn't pray. I'm waiting for the next great American evangelist to come through and that alone is going to change the city. He prayed that the people that were there would see God. He prayed that the ones that were already there would have God reveal Himself to them. Come on, we got to stop praying and waiting that the cavalry is coming. In youth, we always say this, that there's no one coming. In Brisbane, we believe that we're going to see the main auditorium of our church is 1,200 seats full on a Friday night of young people. And through that, we're going to see less detentions. We're going to see less people, less young people experiencing bullying, less self-harm in our communities. We're believing that God will do something incredible, but we always say, Calvary's not coming. It's up to us. It's up to us. And what we got to do is seek God's face. Come on, Desert Life. I know, I know that God is just waiting. He just wants a people to say, you know what? Gifts are amazing. And God, I, I need, I need you to be in my life. I need you to help me through day by day. I need my daily bread. I need my health. I need my healing. I need my family to be restored. And I know that you and only you can do those things. But first. And foremost, the highest purpose of my prayer is that I would see you. If every head bowed and every eye closed. I think we're going to, we prayed in the last service that the Holy Spirit would come and minister. I believe this morning that that there's a specific group of people that God wants to minister to and work in hearts and we're going to pray for 
those people. I believe that there are people here who are just, your heart is just so heavy because kids are away from God. That, that you're just feeling the weight of, you know, God, would you reveal yourself to my kids? We're going to pray for you at the end of the service, and I believe that God is going to begin to reveal himself to your kids, that he would be truly the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a God who cares about the generations, a God who, who cares that each generation would follow after the previous in following you. We're going to pray for you in just a second. I know it's got really nothing to do with what I'm preaching about, but heck, we're going to do it. Before we do that, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray that God would truly give us together, collectively, I'm in this as well, that He would give us that spirit that reveals Himself. That we would be a people that would diligently seek to know God. Father, we thank you that you are indeed a God who gives good gifts, but Father, we acknowledge that you are the giver. God, this morning as we have heard your word, I pray that you would begin to do a work in our hearts, Father. That we would be a people that seek your face. Father, that we would be a people who, like David, our prayer is that we would gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would uh, open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see the, the perspective. We would get a new hopeful perspective. God, that we would see ourselves for who we are. We would see the position that we have in you, that we are your glorious inheritance, God, that we are precious to you. God, that you love us that you have called us, you have appointed us, you have given us every good and gracious gift under heaven that in Christ we are the righteousness of Him. God, we acknowledge the fact that that's who we are. God, I pray that as we do that, we would recognize that there is a power inside of us. God, that in us, there dwells the power that raised Christ from the dead. And Father, I pray that we would begin to walk out life as, as believers, that, that everywhere that we go, that it's not just altar calls that we pray for people, but it's in our workplace. God, it's in the main streets. God, it's for the sick wherever we find them. God, it's for the broken wherever we come across them. God, that we would recognize and walk in power. God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, lives in us. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes to that knowledge. Father, would we be a people who diligently seek the giver, that diligently seek the giver. Father, that we would be people that see Jesus. I got a word for somebody. There's a story in Luke 7 where a, a mother, a, a widow, is having her last child marched out of town in a burial, in a funeral, her, her last Hope feels like it's marching out of town. Somebody here, it feels as though, you know, you're going through something right now and things that you had relied on, things that you had hoped for, things that you had put all of your trust in, feel like they're walking out of town right now. It's incredible. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus comes walking into that scene. He grabs a hold of her last hope. He stops the procession in its tracks. This morning, I'm here to tell you that your last hope is being held where it is by Jesus. 
Jesus reaches into the coffin, pulls out her son and gives it back to the mother. God, I, I don't know who this is for, but somebody this morning, your last hope feels like it's marching out of town, but Jesus is here this morning to give it back to you. He's here to hold it up, to give it back to you, that your last hope matters to Jesus, that Jesus is in town, He's bursting into your scene and He wants to give it back to you. God, Father, I pray that we would be people that seek your face and see you for who you are. In Jesus' name. And again, while we're still got our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if there are people in this room who perhaps for the first time or for the first time in a long time are right now feeling like maybe this God thing's real. Maybe grace is true. Maybe maybe there is a God. Perhaps it's the first time you've even heard of a God that's not just interested in pointing and mocking and critiquing and punishing when you trip, but is the God that's there to catch you when you fall. Jesus loves you. He is there for you, and He is the only one that can save you. So if this morning you're saying, you know what, for the first time, first time in a long time, I want to put my trust in Jesus and ask Him to save me. I want to see God for who He is. If that's you on the count of three, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand. We're going to pray, and we're going to celebrate. If that's you, on the count of three, just shoot your hand up. Would you be brave enough? One, two, three. If that's you, you're saying, you know what? God, I, I need you. Fantastic. Lady, toward the back. God, today, I pray this dear dear lady would know that she is precious to you God right now I pray that you would as in response to her declaration of her need and her faith in you that you would come and forgive her, save her and hold her dearly in Jesus name, Amen Amen well, I, I have a burden on my heart. Again, it has really nothing to do with what I was saying, but whatevs. I believe that there are some parents here. We, we're not even necessarily going to get you down the front. I really should have spoken that sermon in hindsight, but that's okay. We have a God who declares himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a God that cares about your kids. He's a God who is intimately interested in your family. And as a youth pastor, I know the, the weight that rests on parents when they feel like their children are going through things or they feel like their children are away from you, from, from God. And God cares about that. He hears you. And today we're going to pray and believe that God is going to restore back to Himself His children. He's going to restore back to Himself your children. So if everybody wants to stand, we're going to praise, we're going to sing this song. I know this is a very kind of niche thing, but I believe that God truly wants to let somebody, at least one person in this room, know that God cares about your kids, that He's not forsaken them. He's forsaken His kid once, so He doesn't forsake our kids ever. 
So if that's you, and, and I'm not going to ask you to come out the front, all I'm going to say is, you know, if that's you, as we begin to sing this song, just raise your hand, begin to praise God, begin to seek His face, and then, then we're going to pray all together and believe that we're going to see the next generation be held so dear and close to God. So come on, church, can we begin to sing? Can we begin to praise God for what He's going to do? Come on, all across this room, why don't we raise our hands and, and praise God? I surrender all, all to Thee, my precious Savior, and I surrender all. I surrender. room and you would like us to stand with you and pray that God would call his children home. If that's you, I just would you be brave enough to just raise your hand and some good, great people around you are going to come stand with you and we're going to pray in faith. So church, would you stand with somebody around you who's got their hands raised? Father, our Father, their Father. God, we know that it is your will that you would call all men back unto yourself. Father, we know that it is your heart that generations would follow from one generation to the other. And God, I pray right now, as it says in Psalm 145, that one generation commends your good work to the next, which is that one generation would stand as a testimony to the goodness of God to the next. So God, I pray that as these people stand in the gap for their kids, God, that you would remind them that you can see their kids. God, that you are that you are caring as much as them. God, you have a heart for our kids. God, that you want them home. And so God, I pray that you would begin to make opportunities, that you would give parents boldness, that you would make them sensitive to the, to the hearts of their kids. And God, we pray that you would call their kids home. God, we ask right now in faith that you would call your kids home. So, Father, we believe in faith that one day we'll stand in this room or another room together side by side with our children, praising the name of Jesus, the only name that can save. God, that that will be a testimony to this day when we decided to say that, God, you truly care about our children and would you bring them home. God, I pray that one day we will stand in the presence of God together, like Paul looking to the Ephesian church, be able to turn and say to our kids with euphoria, with, with, with delight, the goodness and the grace of God that they shared together. We believe for it. 
And God, that which we believe for, we ask for, and we receive in the name of Jesus, which is above every name, which is above every power. God, we ask for it, and we believe for it, and we receive it today in the name of Jesus. And everybody that believed for it said, amen, amen, amen. Well, thank you, church, for having us. I'll pass it back to Pastor Ben. Come on, why don't we give Pastor Ryan Alcorn a hand for a great word this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor Ryan. We, we've been absolutely thrilled that uh, you guys were able to come all the way from Brisbane just to bless our church, to minister for us. Haven't these guys done an awesome job all weekend, guys? How many uh, young people were in school this week and saw the youth band come out and visit their school? Just a few of us. Yep, a couple of hands. And uh, how many people were able to be with us for Friday night? And uh, we had a great time worshipping God seeing some young people give their lives to Jesus for the very first time, which was pretty cool. And uh, this morning as well, hasn't this band been amazing for us? You guys have done a really great job. Let's thank them. Thank you so much. Listen, I've got to tell you something. God really does want to do something amongst young people in Alice Springs. He he really does. And and, uh, listen, if you're young, God wants to use you. He doesn't just want you to become a follower of His and then maybe when you're old like me with a bit of grey coming through your beard, girls, um, He doesn't just want to use you when you're old like me. He wants to use you now. Lily Todd is this amazing singer right here. Do you know how old Lily is? She's 17 years old. She's in year 12 at school and uh, she's recording albums and uh, travelling around, ministering in schools here and and, and coming to sing in our our church. And uh, each one of these... Other than Peter and Haley, who are fabulous, but we get to keep them all the time. They're always with us. But the rest of these guys, most of this crew here, I've known them since they were small kids. I've known Pastor Ryan since he was an 11-year-old boy. And I remember even as an 11-year-old boy, him seeking God, him being a God worshiper. I remember Lillian Jackson, when you guys, these guys are brother and sister, and you weren't always this tall, you guys. I remember you guys when you were this tall, seeking God, worshiping God with a heart for God. Josh Collins as a little kid sometimes running around the church and then as a high schooler in our youth program and now look at you up the back there being the what are you like the uh, MD is that what you are today the MD look at that I'm getting the lingo down I know what that means Jesse where were you from what school were you from Earnshaw Earnshaw College came and got saved at our youth ministry in, in Brisbane is that right went home and your mum and your sister and all sorts of family people have gotten saved since you got saved huh now you've done the internship in our Hope Academy, came out here and visited with them. And, and uh, what's amazing is the way God is using these young people. But they made a choice in younger years, I'm going to serve Jesus. And they're not making a choice, oh, one day when I'm old, I'll serve Jesus. They're doing it now. So listen, no matter how old you are in this room today, no matter whether you're ancient or youthful, <laughs> um, If God can use Lily Todd, a 17-year-old girl, and take her with an influential worship ministry around the world, can't God use you? Hey? Can't God do something with us in Alice Springs? I'll tell you something. I just had this thing dropped into my heart by God while Ryan was talking. Um, It's time for our church to get serious about the God we pray to, isn't it? It's time for us to get passionate about seeing God's kingdom come and His will be done in Alice Springs, on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that true? And people can say amen. It's time for us to actually actively engage our passion that we want to see God do something to heal the brokenness in this region. How many people can say amen? 
But did you hear, hear what Ryan said, that the cavalry aren't coming? Actually, I get more than 50 contacts a week sometimes of ministries and missionaries and evangelists and preachers, all who would love to come and preach in our church. The vast majority of whom, I'm not interested in them coming and preaching to our church. I'm interested in our church not just being focused on ministry within the four walls here, but us going out there and making a difference in Jesus' name. Who can say amen? And so what that means is that some of us, some of us in this family, it's time for us to step up. I'm not asking you give more or tithe more or or come and do more of my jobs for me. This is what I'm saying. It's time for some of us to engage our passion. God, will you use me to do something in this region? And I feel like that's what Ryan was unlocking in our hearts in God's Word today, that we've got to begin to see God like we never have before so that we can see Him move like He hasn't moved before in Alice Springs. And some of us, we've just got to begin to hunger and thirst for the things that God wants us to have. Some of us, we've just got to step up our prayer and our seeking. Listen... There are too many unused gifts in this room right now. There are too many unused gifts in this room. There's too many singers who aren't singing. Too many musicians who aren't using their gift to worship God. There's too many preachers who aren't coming to talk to me about their preaching gift and say, Pastor Ben, what do I do? I feel called to preach God's Word. How do I get ready to do that? You know, you don't just wake up one day and get handed a microphone. You really don't. You've got to prepare. There's preparation. There's cultivation of your gift. There's discipleship in your gift. There are people in this room, and you've actually only been coming to this church for just a short amount of time, but God wants to use you here. And you've got to lock in with some of our leaders and some of our, 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 our people and say, how can I grow in the areas God wants me to grow in? There are some people in this room today, and I'm not even thinking of anyone in particular. I just feel like God's dropped this in my heart, that, that church is like a dartboard, and there's a core to that dartboard. People in the bullseye journeying together, seeing what God wants to do. But then there are outer rings. There are some people, and if you had to label yourself or talk about yourself the way you feel in church life that that you feel like you're on that outer ring on the periphery kind of you come every now and then but you're on the outer on the outer ring that's how you feel that's not me saying that's where you are and I feel like God's spirit is moving in this place and he's saying to all of us listen just move into the core move into the bullseye be on the journey be part of the mission be part of the family you don't have to be here 20 years before you're part of the family you could have been here two weeks it's part of the family today could be your first visit but you could make a decision in your heart i'm going to be part of the family and god wants to use us all together to see something amazing happen you've got something in your life that this region needs from god you've got something in your life this church needs from god Come on, why don't we raise our hands just, just as a sign of, of saying, God, I receive everything you have for me all over this room today. I'm going to close this meeting in a short moment. I'm going to pray for you, my friend. My brother, my sister, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you wouldn't waste your time, that you wouldn't waste God's time, that in this strategic moment where God wants to do something amazing in Alice Springs and heal hurts and meet needs and see people's lives change, see brokenness healed, see darkness flee, God wants to use you, my friend. God wants to do something in you. He wants wants to do something through you and he has so much life and love and grace and goodness for you and for other people through you so i pray for you my friend i pray you would open your heart to god and say god pour out everything you have for me into my soul i pray that you would bend the knee to god and say god nothing's beneath me i will serve you i will serve you in this church in this community in this town in this region in my workplace where i study where i work where i rest where i play pray 
Father, use your people. Use us to do something. We say to you, I surrender all today, Jesus. Use us to do something in this region, in this world that will touch the nations of the earth. I pray you begin to show people areas of giftedness you have for them that they haven't been stepping out in, but now they know. You know what? I've got I to gotta see some of the leaders in the church. I've got to make an appointment to see Pastor Ben or Jamie or Pastor Danielle or some of our eldership or some of our leaders. I've got to chat and say, God's convicting me. It's time for me to step up and time for me to move into the core, time for me to serve, time for me to grow. And uh, it's not a solo sport, it's a team sport, so we all do it together with each other. Father, I pray for our family today. Bless them. Move in their lives. Let them see the fullness of God. Let them know the presence of God. Use us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand of praise for everything he's doing in our midst this morning. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm going to close the meeting. I say it's a bad habit to be the second preacher in a service, so I uh, am in the danger of doing that. But God put one more thing in my heart, and that is this. There are three worship leaders in this room, and you're not currently part of the worship leading team. But you've got a gift on your life and a call on your life. For I don't know who they are. God didn't give me your names. God just told me that there are three people in the room, and you have the ability and the capacity and the grace on your life to be a worship leader, but you're not doing it. So listen, if you're waiting for a sign, here it is. It's time. It's time. Hey, thank you for joining us in church today. We love you so much. Thanks for being part of our worship this morning. Thanks once again to our Brisbane team. Will you stretch out your hand to uh, Pastor Ryan or the Brisbane team? We're going to pray for them. They're heading back to Brisbane tomorrow. And they've got so much stuff. Lily's got to go back to school. And these guys have got to go back to study and work. And Zeke's got to go back to touring the universe as an awesome singer and stuff like that. Lai's got to go learn some more home and away songs. haley has got to keep baking babies. It's all good. All good. We appreciate you guys coming. Stretch your hand out towards these guys. A few people near Ryan, put your hand on him. And we're going to pray God's blessing. Father, we pray for our guests. We send them back to Brisbane in the blessing of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would use them, that you would comfort them, guide them, Father, and bless them. Pour back into their lives as they've sold sacrificially this weekend to be with us. It's been a sacrifice. They've used up their time, their resources, their energy. It's cost them money, but we bless them today. Thank you for sending them our way and send them in blessing, Father. We pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Hey, just before I close the service, I got one more, only one more solitary thing to tell you. And that is this. Where is Wendy and Rupert Krauts? Come out here, Wendy and Rupert. Come and join me just for a second down the front here. Rupert will be chatting, but Wendy's here. She's, she's, she's worshiping God up the back. <laughs> these guys, these guys are amazing. Come up here on the, on the platform. Wendy and Rupert. Something very important to tell you about them. They're not pregnant. God is too kind for that. To take you back there. Too kind. Wendy and Rupert have uh, begun a new initiative for us, which is the marriage course that's running on Monday nights. It runs from 7 p.m. until 9 p.m. And uh, we've had more than 20 couples turn up last week for uh, our first night. It's a seven-week course where married couples come together and, and uh, you have a chat with them, but they actually spend a lot of time chatting to each other. It's like special date night for couples to invest in their relationship and grow. It's pretty amazing the way that you set up the room. And this whole room was cleared out and it was set up like an ambient restaurant, date town. Couches and checkered tablecloths and candles. And, and uh, we even had Barry White music playing. We had it. It was amazing. It was amazing. Actually, I know that because I was the sound man for it on Monday night. You know how dangerous it is letting me in front of the sound desk, let alone behind the sound desk, but that was me. And uh, Wendy and Rupert 
every week for the next seven have committed themselves to leading the marriage course. It's amazing. We've even had some couples who aren't Christian sign up and it's their first sort of connection point and contact with the church coming along to build their relationship. It's pretty awesome, huh? How many people think that's amazing? Who'll be praying this week for the marriage course and and what God is doing? Let's not do a half-hearted clap. Let's either clap or not clap. So we'll clap, shall we? Yes, it's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And they've committed themselves to running that for the next few weeks. But do you know what? They didn't want our participation.